Good morning. I want to bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, maybe you didn't know you had brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, but you do. God is alive and at work there. When God first called my family to Las Vegas 23 years ago, we never dreamed we would live in the city of Las Vegas. I'm originally from New York City, as you can tell by my accent, right? No, I'm originally from Alabama, and if you're from Alabama, you don't go to Las Vegas, and if you do, you don't tell anybody, right? Where I'm from, they don't think Las Vegas is hell, but they think you can smell it from there, like it's real close. But I want you to know that God is alive and at work in that city where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, amen? And God has done an unbelievable work over the last 22 years that we've had the privilege of being a part of. So I want to bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters there, but I also want to bring you greetings from thousands of church plants all across North America that are represented in Send Network. I have the privilege now of serving as the leader of that church planning organization, and what an incredible opportunity it is to see churches multiplied all over North America. We currently have about 1,200 planters in the pipeline. Let this week, Monday through Wednesday, uh, I was in Alpharetta, Georgia, speaking to our largest ever class of church planting uh, orientation. We had 220 planters in that orientation that are being sent out to 32 states, five different languages represented. So God is moving in North America. Amen. And churches like you are a part of that. And I'm so grateful for your passion to see churches multiplied and the vision that you have to do that. And I also want to thank you on behalf of my wife and I for the way you have loved our kids uh, that we sent over here to you from Las Vegas. Las Vegas sending missionaries to Kansas City. Now there's a sense of humor God's got. Amen. <laughs> Uh, but we're thrilled that they are here. You have embraced them so much. And I know at some point you will be sending them out to plant a church. I met with your elders yesterday for a couple of hours, and the elders made it clear to me they're okay with sending Christian out. They're just not okay with sending Hannah out. <laughs> and I said that's exactly the way my family felt in Las Vegas when we sent them here. I'm just kidding. We love Christian. What a gift. There he is right there. You knew I had to get you a little bit, right? God bless our family when he put Christian Grassi in our family. And I mean it. You'll never mean more to a set of parents than when you care for their kids, the way you've cared for our kids and our grandkids here. And we are forever grateful to you for the impact that you have made in their lives. I want to breathe one more word of prayer, and then I want to jump right into what I want to share with you from my heart today. Let's pray together. And in this moment of prayer, I want you to lean into the work of prayer. Often in church gatherings, uh, we don't pray together. And I want to invite you to join me in praying right now. The psalmist said this, and I want this to be the heartbeat of your prayer. The psalmist said, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. So I'm going to ask you to pray that right now. Just in your own words, in your own heart, say, God, would you open my eyes today? Would you teach me, Lord, from your word? Father, I pray in this moment that as only you can, you would communicate divine truth. You know what you've placed on my heart. And God, I believe the truth that I want to share with this church family today shifts our paradigm. God, I pray for a light bulb moment today. For a lot of people in this room, leaders, pastors, volunteers, members, guests, guests, 
Lord, that as only you can, you would speak straight to our heart. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. September 1999, God interrupted our lives. My wife and I were living in Memphis, Tennessee. I was the senior associate pastor of a great church there in Memphis. It was a church that ran over 2,000 people. It gave a million dollars a year away over and above its budget to mission. It's a, a very generous fellowship. I had a great relationship with the senior pastor. He was my dad. I'd known him my whole life, right? And everybody kind of assumed that one day my dad would retire and I would become the next senior pastor. We never had that conversation. He and I never talked about it one time, but it was kind of the assumption. And at one point, my wife and I, we were at home one day. I was sitting in my living room just spending time with the Lord in my own devotional life. And I came across a verse in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for that purpose. As soon as I read that verse, I saw some stuff in Jesus that was not in me. I saw a passion for the kingdom of God, a passion for the kingdom to be expanded to other cities. And and in that moment, you know, there are those days when you're reading the Bible and you read the Bible, and then there are those days when you read the Bible and the Holy Spirit of God just makes it come alive and he pulls you into a text of Scripture and speaks straight to your heart. That's what happened to me that morning. When I read that verse that day, I didn't know all that God was saying, but I knew that he was calling our family to something new. And I went and got my wife, Christy. We knelt down in our living room in Memphis, Tennessee. And here's what we said, Lord, yes. Say, what was the question? We had no idea. We just knew Lord and anything but yes didn't go together. We really thought in that moment that we were surrendering our lives to go to the other side of the world and plant our lives in some country and culture, learning another language, and would spend the rest of our lives on the back side of the world making disciples and multiplying churches. But as we tried to push that door open, God would not allow us to do that. And two weeks later, a pastor mentor from Woodstock, Georgia, a church there, reached out and contacted me and said, Vance, our church feels led of the Lord to start a church in the fastest growing city in North America, Las Vegas, Nevada, and God's put it on our hearts. You're to be the pastor of that church. So two weeks earlier, we said yes. Two weeks later, God had the audacity to fill in the blank with Las Vegas. We literally knew nothing about Las Vegas. We didn't even know where it was on the map. All I knew that was occasionally in the showcase showdown, Bob Barker gave away a trip to Las Vegas to somebody who won the prices right. That's all I knew. But we packed up everything we own. We moved east first, believing churches plant churches. Individuals don't. Denominations don't. Networks don't. Churches plant churches. Living things reproduce themselves. We moved to Woodstock, Georgia, became a part of that fellowship, and then were sent out of that fellowship a year later to go and plant a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. And over the last 22 years of planting and pastoring that church, I finally completed the missionary cycle, which God had called us there as missionaries. The last step of the missionary is to raise up indigenous leadership and pass the baton for future generations to carry on the work of the Lord. After 22 years, we raised up a team from within our fellowship, some young guys that had been with me for 15 years, and we've passed the baton to them, and we now live in Las Vegas. We're members of that church, but we've been sent out now as missionaries to lead this church planning movement across North America. And over the last 22 years, if there's one subject that God has redefined and reorganized my entire life around, it's the subject that I want to talk to you about today. It's the subject... Of the kingdom of God. Did you know that there are over 100 references in 16 different books of the New Testament to the subject of the kingdom of God? 
And sadly, though, I'm afraid in most churches across North America, we don't know what the kingdom of God is, much less to say it's a priority in our lives. One of those references in the New Testament is Jesus himself saying from his own lips in Matthew chapter 6, Seek ye what? Seek ye what? He didn't say, Seek ye, put it in your top ten list, right? He didn't say, Seek ye, prayerfully consider this. If you're a Greek student... In the text, it's literally an imperative. Jesus says by way of command that the kingdom of God, seek ye first the kingdom of God. The kingdom is to be the absolute pinnacle priority in our lives and everything else in our lives, our families, our jobs, our careers, our hobbies, our passions, everything is to center in and revolve around the kingdom of God. And I'm afraid most of us in the church in North America, we don't even know what the kingdom of God is. You think, that's heaven someday, right? Much less to say it's the number one priority in our lives and in our churches. For sake of time, let me give you a definition of the kingdom of God. Here it is. I'll put it up on the screen. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. Why don't you read that out loud off the screen with me? You ready? One, two, three. God's sovereign activity in the world. All right, we're going to start over, all right? This is classroom participation time. I need you to talk to me a little bit. The church that I pastor in Las Vegas has 54 languages represented in our church, other than the church that I used to pastor. I'm still learning to say that. The church in Las Vegas has 54 languages, meaning many different cultures. And a lot of cultures are very expressive in worship. So I've gotten a little bit spoiled with people that talk back to me. So we're going to try this one more time. You ready? One, two, three. God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. That is the kingdom of God. It's the big picture of what God is doing all over the world. You do know that God is moving in the world. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Did you know that Christianity is moving towards a grand and glorious climax? It's not going to always be like this. Let me show you the, the end of How many of you like to read books? All right. I love to read books. My wife enjoys reading books. I read books like a normal, sane person. Now, she's sitting right here. We've had this conversation, so don't get nervous. I read books like a normal, sane person. My wife reads books like a crazy person. Here's what I mean by that. I read a book. I'm an author. I read a book the way it's designed to be written. You start on page one, chapter one, word one, and you read through the book. You know what my wife does? She reads the last chapter first. To deem whether or not the rest of the book is worth being read. As an author, that is offensive to me. But when it comes to this book, that's not a bad strategy, amen? And let me tell you something. I've read the last chapter in this book. Let me show it to you. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. Here's what it says. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every... Say it out loud. Tribe and language and people and nation. Stop right there. That's Revelation 5, 9. How many of you have heard that verse before? Yep. You ever been to a mission conference? You've heard that verse, right? Every tribe, tongue, people, language. The problem with verse 9 is we never read verse 10. Look at the next phrase. And you have made them a what? Say it out loud. 
Here's what that means. This whole thing of Christianity, Genesis to Revelation, is God on an eternal redemptive mission redeeming to himself a people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And get this, one day the last soul somewhere is going to be ushered into the kingdom of God. I don't know if it's going to be in America or Russia or Guatemala, but somewhere the last soul is going to be ushered into the kingdom. And guess what's going to happen then? King Jesus is going to step off the throne and the Lord is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then eternity is King Jesus ruling and reigning over his kingdom for all eternity. That's what this is about. He's building his kingdom. The goal is not Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. The goal is not Journey Church in Lee Summit, Missouri. The goal is not the 20 churches that you have a dream to plant out of this fellowship. The goal is the kingdom of God. Let me prove it to you in two ways, then we're going to get to the text of Scripture. Here's the first one I want to prove it to you. I want to prove it to you practically. Let me give you a word of discouragement this morning. One day, this church will die. (gasps) How dare you say that as a guest in our church? Don't you know we just built this building? Don't you know we just opened these doors? Don't you know what we just gave and sacrificed to build? How dare you say one day our church is going to die? Listen, let me tell you, I can say it with confidence. You know why? They all do. Every church that got a book deal in the New Testament is dead and gone. The church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, epicenters of gospel activity in the first century, now dead and gone. One day, Journey Church, one day, the church I gave 22 years of my life to plant and pastor in Las Vegas, Nevada, one day, every one of those churches will die. But hear me. The kingdom of God is alive and well. Which means the goal today is not to make sure that Journey Church is the greatest church on planet earth. The goal today is to leverage everything you are at Journey Church for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Because if you're only investing in Journey Church International, you're investing in that which is temporary. But to to the degree that you leverage that for the sake of the kingdom in Kansas City and in North America and the world, now you're investing in that which is eternal. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. Let me show you two verses of Scripture. And then we're going to get to a text. I promise. We're getting there. (laughs) Acts chapter 1. And Acts, if you'd asked me for most of my ministry life, what's the book of Acts about? I'd have said the book of Acts is about the local New Testament church. It's about the birth of the church, the growth of the church, the multiplication of the church. Acts is all about the church. Do you know that's not what the book of Acts is about? Let me prove it to you. Acts 1-3. Look at it. He, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. Now, you know what this is. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Then for 40 days, he made appearances to his disciples before he did what? Before he ascended back to the right hand of the Father. He gave the great commission, then he ascends back to the Father. The Bible says during those 40 days, look what it says. During those 40 days, he spoke about only one thing. What did he speak about? Say it out loud. How about that? 
Here's Jesus, his last 40 days on planet earth, physically present with his disciples. And for 40 days, he preached the same sermon over and over and over and over and over. You imagine if your pastor showed up for the next 40 weeks and preached the same sermon every week for 40 weeks. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, if you forget everything else I've said in three and a half years of public ministry, do not forget this, kingdom of God. It's almost as if he was saying, this whole thing is about the kingdom of God. It's about the big picture of what God is doing all over the world. Now, go to the last two verses of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, the last two verses, verses 30 and 31. Listen to what it says. He, now we're talking about Paul, the great church planning missionary. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. Now, this is not Paul renting a condo on the beach. This is Paul under house arrest in Rome, believing he's facing imminent execution. So Paul now thinks, my life is over. This is the end. And it says he welcomed all who came to him. Here's what that means. Anybody got within earshot of Paul, Paul said, hey, sit down, let me talk to you about something. What did he talk to him about? Proclaiming the what? How about that? The book of Acts opens with Jesus himself, his last 40 days, talking about nothing but the kingdom. The book of Acts closes with Paul, the great church planning missionary, spending two years, and he only talked about one thing, the kingdom of God. Now, in the middle of that, you have the birth, growth, and expansion of the local New Testament church. But you can't remove it from the bookend. So here's what that means. The local church, Journey Church, exists to introduce people to King Jesus, to disciple them in kingdom living, and then to send them out for the expansion of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. The church is not the goal. The kingdom is the goal. And we spend all of our time, energy, and effort in North America focused on the church. And we've relegated the kingdom to a department called missions that we put down at the end of a dark hallway so that all the weirdos in the church can go over there to go on trips to places nobody wants to go to. You know what we need to do? We need to crucify the S. There's no such thing as missions. There's the mission. And it's the same mission that started in the book of Genesis with Abraham. It's the same mission that continued through the book of Acts with the birth and explosion of the local New Testament church. And it's the same mission that climaxes in Revelation with every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around the throne of King Jesus. And that mission is the expansion of the kingdom of God to cities and nations all over the world. So with that in mind... Here's the question of the morning and what I want to spend the rest of my time talking about. How? How do we connect the local New Testament church to the big picture of the kingdom of God? And I'm so glad you asked that question. Turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Book of Philippians, we read about a church that understood what I've just laid out for you as a foundation. And Paul is writing a letter to this church, and I want to pick it up in verse 15 in Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, and you Philippians yourselves know 
that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and, ha- and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then here's the verse we all love and love to quote. And my God will supply your every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We like that verse, don't we? Here's the problem with that verse. It's a conditional promise. It's not a blank check. We'll talk about that in a minute. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me share with you three truths out of these verses connecting your church to the big picture of the kingdom of God. Here's the first one. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. Paul's writing this letter to a church that he planted on his second missionary journey being sent out of the church at Antioch. On his second missionary journey, Paul receives what we all know as the Macedonian call, this dream, this vision. And for the first time, Paul takes the gospel to Europe. That'll help all of us think right missiologically and about the church. The gospel started in the Middle East and North Africa and it was missionaries that were sent to Europe in Acts 16 for the first time to take the gospel to Europe. The gospel didn't begin there. The gospel was brought there by North Africans and the Middle East. Paul gets to Europe. He goes to a city called Philippi and he begins to engage that city with the gospel. He finds himself not preaching in a church service, but down at the riverbank. Why? Because in every city in the first century, the water source was where the life in the city happened. Paul knew that. So he goes to the riverbank and he begins to have conversations and he meets a woman named Lydia, this rich businesswoman who was a seller of purple and fine linens, which means she ran in the upper crust of society. And Paul begins to teach her about Jesus. And there Lydia hears the gospel and she surrenders the control of her life to Christ. This church gets planted there in Philippi and Paul is now about 10 years later writing them this letter as a thank you letter for their participation in his ministry over the last decade. And notice how he opens it. He says, in the beginning of the gospel. Did anybody in the room tear up when we read that phrase, the beginning of the gospel? Probably not, right? Why? Because it didn't mean anything to you. The word beginning there is a word that means first or when it started. Here's what Paul is doing. He's writing to them and Christian, here's what he's saying. He's saying, do you guys remember when it all started? Anybody in the room here when Journey Church International began, when it had its very first gathering? Anybody in the room? I see a few hands, a couple of hands here. When I say, do you remember when it all started? You think about that very differently than most people in this room. I think about it in Vegas. Man, 18 people in my living room from five states and two foreign countries and 
us beginning to engage that city and make those were sweet days. That's what Paul is reminding them. He says, Hey, do you remember when it all started? And he takes them back to that story of meeting Lydia. And after Lydia comes to Christ, they go back to Lydia's home and her whole household embraces the gospel. He begins to disciple them as a part of his disciple making strategy. He takes them out into the streets to share the gospel. How do you know that? Because they're doing that one day and a slave girl begins to mock them and persecute them. Paul turns and he casts the demon out of the slave girl. This slave girl becomes a part of the, the group that's now following Jesus. Not everybody in the city liked that. So they throw Paul and Silas in jail. And at midnight in jail, Paul and Silas are not freaking out. They're not panicking. They're worshiping God because they're thinking, man, if God put us in jail, that's his business. If he put us here, he put us here for a reason. And they're in the jail. You know what happens. The earthquake, the doors swing open, the jailer rushes in thinking everybody's escaped, about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do that. The jailer says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Paul and Silas lead the jailer and his whole family to Christ in the middle of the night and baptize them right there. Boom. Brand new church in Philippi. Businesswoman from the upper crust and her family. Slave girl from the slave class. Her friends. Blue collar family. Jailer. His household. Nowhere else in the city would these people have ever gotten together. But now in the gospel, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Brand new church birthed in Philippi. They begin to build the ministry there. They're ministering to one another. They're serving each other. Now for 10 years, the church has been thriving. And Paul writes them. And here's what he says. Hey, remember, remember, when the church was born, that's not the finish line. That's only the starting line. Sometimes churches get to the place where you are here at Journey. Man, you've been on an 11-year process of following God and sacrifice and watching God do amazing things. And now you you got this building and you've moved in. And I look around this morning at an 8.30 service that's almost full. And you can have this idea of, whew, we made it. Mission accomplished. No, listen, this was never the goal. When God birthed your church, it wasn't just so you could have cool worship services and leave some in Missouri. When God birthed your church, he had the nations on his heart. In our fourth year in Vegas, 2004, I got a telephone call from a buddy of mine that convinced me of this truth more than I even knew. He was a friend of mine that was a pastor in Texas who'd met a guy who was the highest ranking government official in the government of Egypt. Highest ranking Christian in the government of Egypt. He was the director of information at the UN on behalf of the nation of Egypt. Egypt was at that time and is still to this day a predominantly Muslim nation. It's about 96, 98% Muslim. He reaches out and says, man, this, this ambassador would love for us to bring a group of six to eight pastors to come to Egypt to ask permission of the Egyptian government to work through the front door of the government to do Christian ministry in a Muslim nation. He said, would you be willing to go? I said, man, I need to pray about that. When you need to know? He said, I need to know next week. So I talked to our team. We made a decision. Let's go. When God birthed our church, he had the nations on his heart. Let's go. So we, I get on an airplane. It's the strangest flight I've ever been on in my life. We're on a diplomatic visa, so you have to wear suits and ties on a 10-hour flight from New York to Egypt. Awful. Let me just tell you, awful. <laughs> get off the plane. We're met by press, media, security, guys with guns, diplomats. And sure enough, they tour us around the country of Egypt. We meet, Brian Boyd was on that trip with me. We meet with the governors of Cairo, Giza, and Alexandria. We meet with the presidential cabinet. We meet with the national director of intelligence, who's the one kicking missionaries out of the country. We met with President Hosni Mubarak's wife. And with all of them, here's what we said. We won't violate your laws. We're not going to preach in your streets. 
But if you'll let us come, we want to serve your cities. We want to serve your country by serving in the area of micro-businesses and foster care and medical development, education training. And when we do that, when people ask us why, we will tell them our Jesus story. And we got 100% government clearance to work in the nation of Egypt. We did it for six straight years. For six years, our church in Las Vegas, we owned that ministry. We sent dozens and dozens of teams. We held conferences. We trained leaders. We started micro-businesses. We worked in foster care. We worked in medical training. We sent doctors to do training and develop skills. We did all kind of work. Saw many people come to Christ. Many pastors trained. Many churches planted. But at the end of six years, there was an overthrow of the government. I was in country when the government was overthrown. 28 people killed outside our hotel. They had to get us out of the country quickly. As soon as the government was overthrown, our door was closed, and we hadn't been back in since. You say, why are you telling us that? Here's why. In my first trip over there to get permission, on my way out of the country, I'm sitting in Cairo in the airport with this diplomat who's this Christian who'd invited us to come. His name's Magdi Shaker. Magdi, we're sitting over a cup of coffee that he was drinking. I hate coffee. He was drinking coffee. I was just watching. (laughs) And he tells me this story. He said, Vance, 10 years ago, now remember, our church is four years old, 10 years ago. I was the ambassador to Australia on behalf of the nation of Egypt. He said, I was flying home from Egypt to resign my post with the government to go into Christian ministry. And he said on the plane, God convicted me that he'd raise me up as a modern-day Joseph to open the nation of Egypt again to the people of God. And you can put this in your theological box wherever you want to. Here's what he told me. On the plane, he said, God spoke to me and told me that one day I would work with a church from America, from a city filled with casinos and houses of prostitution. He said, Vance, 10 years ago, God told me I'd work with your church and impacting the nation of Egypt. And our church was four years old. Here's what that means. Before we ever had our first worship service, our church being born was the answer to the heart cry of a people on the other side of the world that had never been exposed to the gospel before. Did you hear your pastor a minute ago talk about Guatemala? Eight years ago. Your church was three years old. Eight years ago. There were people in Guatemala. When God birthed your church, it was never just about here. It was about Guatemala. It was about the nations. It was about the peoples of the earth. It's not just about what happens here on Sunday. And listen to me. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith today in Jesus on a daily basis than at any other single time in human history. You did not hear what I just said because if you'd have heard what I just said, you'd have said something. So I'm going to say it again and give you another shot. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith today in Jesus on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history. And listen, God birthed your church for such A time as this. Not just so you could meet here on Sunday, but so that you could join in his activity of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. Number two, when God births a church, he invites us to join in his kingdom activity. Go back to the text. Paul says, No church entered into partnership with me except you only. The word partnership is a Greek word that if you know any Greek word in the Bible, you know this word. It's the Greek word koinonia. Anybody heard that word before? Yeah, we think it means coffee pots and casseroles. We normally translate it as the word fellowship. It's a bad translation of the word. The word literally means to share in the life 
of another. Here's what happened. The church at Philippi was born. They knew Paul was going to plant other churches and join in God's activity. Here's what the church said. When God birthed our church, it wasn't just about Philippi. It wasn't just about Lydia's house. So we're going to join in God's activity by sharing in the life of the apostle Paul and get in on what God's doing to expand his kingdom in the first century world. You say, well, how do we do that? How do we lean our church into the big picture of God's activity? Let me give you quickly three ways. They're all in the text. There are more than three, but these three are in the text. Here's the first one. Every church should cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying. The church at Philippi was a praying church. In this letter, Paul talks about him praying for them and them praying for him. He even gives them instruction in this letter. Some of the most powerful verses on prayer are in this very chapter. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Where are those verses? Right here in this very chapter. They prayed for Paul. They prayed for the kingdom to be expanded. And listen, when we pray for God's kingdom, what's on God's heart gets on our heart. Pastor, are you telling us that prayer can really make a difference? Listen, I'm not telling you there's power in prayer. There is no power in prayer. There is power in the one to whom we pray. The power is not in my praying. The power is in him. And when we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And when we don't, we don't. You know why North America is one of two continents in the world where Christianity is on the decline? Because we don't pray anymore. You know what we've done to prayer in the corporate gathering? We've relegated prayer to moments when we move the band on and off the stage. We don't pray to pray anymore. We just pray to change the set. Does prayer really make a difference? Hey, let me tell you a quick story. When my wife and I got to Las Vegas 22 years ago, our first week on the field, I get a telephone call. There's a lady on the other end of the line named Letty Peralta from the Philippines. She said, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know anybody in Las Vegas. You can tell me any story you want to tell me. I've since learned to be careful with that. <laughs> There's some stories you from Las Vegas you don't need to hear. But here's what she said. She said, I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family that was very poor. She said, while living in Hong Kong, I met an American family that worked for a computer corporation. She said, I became the live-in caretaker of their home. And over the course of years, that, that family became like my extended family. So when they moved back to America, I moved with them as a part of their family. We got all the paperwork, and I moved with them. She said, we settled in a suburb north of Atlanta, Georgia, called Woodstock, Georgia. She said, I went and visited a church called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. And I heard this, this gospel of the kingdom preached like never before. She said, it changed my life. But she said, my family got uprooted again and we relocated to Las Vegas, Nevada. And she said, we, we've been in Las Vegas for a year and a half. And she said, Pastor, I've prayed every day that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Would you please tell me who sent you here? <laughs> Two weeks earlier, we'd loaded everything we owned in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia into a green Dodge minivan, drove 2,000 miles across the country. Nobody even knew Lady Peralta existed. I stand here 22 years later. We've seen thousands of people. We've baptized over 5,000 people in our church in Las Vegas. We've started 80 churches out of our church in the western United States. Sent 400 people out of our fellowship to be about planting those churches. 
We partner on four continents around the world. We send over 40 mission teams a year to engage globally in the global expansion of God's mission. We have 18 families right now in a process of being sent out as missionaries overseas to spend their lives on the other side of the world. And pastor, I get a call once a week, once a month from some church planner. How'd you do it? What was the strategy? How did a, a white dude from Alabama go to Las Vegas and see a church built for the nations? What was your plan? I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm not trying to be humble. I'm just being honest. One lady from the Philippines got a hold of the altar of God for a year and a half and she did not let go until God did what he said he was going to do. And for 22 years, we've ridden a wave of the favor of God because one lady asked God to do it. (laughs) Who's going to be the Lady Peralta in this fellowship? Who's going to get a vision from God and bombard heaven Every day until God uses this fellowship like you never dreamed possible. We can cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying. Number two, we can prioritize the kingdom by sending. Before I say this, let me go back to that other point for just a minute. What would it look like if you took, in 2015, we got real convicted at Hope Church... We now carve out eight to ten minutes in every weekend worship service where we lead the church in corporate prayer. 4,000 people this weekend, they'll take eight to ten minutes and the whole church will pray. People say, oh, don't you, don't you think that make lost people feel uncomfortable? Let me tell you what I've discovered. When lost people come to church, they expect us to talk to God. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they came to church hoping... We would show them how they could talk to God. But we've pushed prayer right out of the church. And with that, the power of God. Oh, we hold our services. We do our thing. We sing our songs. We preach our sermons. But there is no power. What if we carved out time in every weekend service? What we do is about every every five or six weeks, we spend that eight to ten minutes praying for the nations or praying for church planting or praying for our city. For the kingdom to be expanded. Well, second thing. Every church should prioritize the kingdom by sending. Where do you see that in these verses? Look where it says, Paul says, I've received everything from Epaphroditus, the gifts you've sent. Who, who in the world is Epaphroditus? Well, it sounds like something you take medicine to get rid of, right? I mean, like, well, I had a case of Epaphroditus, but I'm much better now. Is there a vaccine for that? Oh, don't say that. God help us all. I didn't... Too soon, right? Too soon. (laughs) Now, Epaphroditus is a dude in the Bible that you're going to run into in heaven, and he's going to say, did you like what my story was in the Bible? And you're going to have to go, oh, yeah, brother, it was great, and have no idea who he is. Let me tell you who he is. He was a regular dude that somebody in Philippi led to Jesus. He got discipled in Lydia's house. One day they said, we're going to take up an offering and send it to the apostle Paul. They didn't have Venmo. They didn't have Zelle. They didn't have PayPal. They said, we need somebody to carry this bag of money to Paul. Anybody willing to go? Epaphroditus said, I mean, I'm no missionary. I had not been to seminary, but I can carry a bag of money with the best of them. I'll go. Epaphroditus is the first recorded short-term missionary in the Bible. He's sent out from the church at Philippi. You can find it. We're not going to read it now, but in, in the same letter, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul calls him their messenger, the one sent out to meet the need. And now he's on his way back to Philippi. How do you know he came back? Where do you think we got the letter from? 
Paul wrote the letter as a thank you to the church at Philippi, gave it to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus brings it back and reads it to the church. Here's what that tells us about the church at Philippi. They didn't measure their success based on their seating capacity. They measured their success, as Rick Warren would say, based on their sending capacity. You see, we're counting the wrong numbers. How many did we have? How many came? How many showed up? What do you run? Listen, when Jesus comes back, when the king returns, he's not going to care how many we ran on Sunday. He's going to want to know how many we sent. You know how I know that? Because he only gave us one prayer request in the Bible. You know what it was? Pray that God would send out laborers into the harvest. What if we got serious about sending? Here's what we did at our church in Las Vegas. In our, our growth track and our membership process, here's what I would say every time. Every time we do a membership class, here's what I'd say. If you join Hope Church, we're going to do the very best we can to talk you into leaving. And people would laugh just like that. And now over 400 of them have been sent out. Never dreamed they'd leave to go plant a church. And now they're a part of a team that's out planting a church. 18 families on their way to the other side of the world that never dreamed they'd live on the other side of the world. Does that mean God's going to call everybody out? No, that's not what I'm saying. But here's what I'm telling you. He's calling more than we're sending. We're so focused on keeping what we got. It's really an issue after the pandemic. I heard pastors and churches all over this country after the pandemic. And here was the focus. Man, how do we get back where we were? What if that was never God's plan? Get back where we were. How do we send more? How do we unleash the church? Here's the third thing. Every church can invest in the kingdom by giving. Your pastor talked about it a moment ago. Giving. Investing. As you give here, I I love to say it this way. When you give to a church, you don't give to a church. You give through a church as an investment in the kingdom of God being expanded in cities and nations all over the world. Churches aren't banks. You don't give to a church. You give through a church. When you give here at Journey, you're investing in the kingdom being expanded in Kansas City and North America and among the nations. Your offerings allow a church to be built in Guatemala, and that's only the starting point of what God desires to do. Paul describes the offering here that they gave with a lot of great adjectives and adverbs, consistently, sufficiently, abundantly, sacrificially is the way that they gave. But here's the beauty of this. We get to verse 19 when God says, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's the promise. Here's what Paul says. When you find a church that's cultivating a heart for the kingdom through prayer and prioritizing the kingdom by sending and investing in the kingdom by giving, here's what God says. You put the kingdom first. You can't outgive me. I'll take care of everything else. That should sound familiar. Remember what Jesus said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? All the rest. I'll add to you. I'll take care of. You show me a church that seeks first the kingdom. I'll show you a church that won't be able to contain the blessing and favor of God that will be poured out. Because when God finds a church he can give through, he will give to. We've seen this at Hope Church over and over and over and over and over again. We planted our first church when we were a year and a half old. 
year and a half old. We sent 40 people out with a new team. We only had 300, more than 10%. I said, anybody want to go? Go. 40 went. Listen, it wasn't a 40 I'd have picked. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. He got a list. Some of you, he's praying for God to send. You don't know that, but he is. Lord, send them. Blessed subtraction. Wasn't a 40 out of picked. It was our best. Our givers, our servants, our small group leaders, our setup team. Listen, God tested me. When those 40 went, I panicked. I thought, Lord, what are we going to do next week? More than 10% of our church just walked out the door. Guess what happened the next week? The next week we had the largest attendance and largest offering we had in the year and a half old history of our church. We've done it 80 times. And I'm telling you, every time you cannot outgive God. You focus on keeping what you got, He'll let you keep what you got. You prioritize sending and giving and investing in the kingdom. All I can tell you is buckle your seatbelt. Because my God will supply all your needs. And I love the ad, according to his riches, not mine, his, in glory, in Christ. I love the way he just piles on the prepositional phrases. Here's the last truth. When God births a church, it's for his glory. Paul said some wonderful things about the church at Philippi, but listen how he closes it. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever it's not about the church at Philippi it's not about the missionary apostle Paul it's not about Lydia's house it's about the glory of God among the cities and nations of the world that's why the psalmist said not to us O Lord not to us but to your name be the glory forever and ever let's pray Father In the name of Jesus, would you allow a kingdom fire to begin to burn in the soul of this fellowship? Lord, it already has a passion for it. May you pour gasoline on that flame. And may it be said of Journey Church International that they seek first the kingdom of God. And God you then pour out your blessing but Lord we know that the psalmist said God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him it's in the name of Jesus I pray before I say amen listen here's my ask for you today is God calling you to put your yes on the table like he did my family 22 years ago he said what does it mean I don't know but here's what I can tell you you will not be disappointed Jesus, bless this church for your namesake. Amen.